Hello and welcome to the How I Got Here series, part of the product-led podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Kaplan, and today I'm super pumped for our guest. Someone I respect, someone I look up to, someone I turn to for advice. Sean, welcome, man. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Dude, thanks for coming on. Appreciate the time. Cool. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the 10,000-foot overview of you. So for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then tell us a little bit about what you're up to at Pathright. Sure. Yeah. So I've been in the marketing and growth space. I guess we can get into like the difference between those two at some point, but I've been in the growth world my whole career. So just under 15 years. And I've been very thankful to have worked with like some very, very smart folks on the analytical side, on the creative side, mainly focused on B2C consumer products. I've had a couple experiences on the B2B front, but really I think about what motivates me in in terms of my learning, my intrinsic like drivers. It's really around how do I understand who I'm talking to, how to talk to them, and can I create enough value where they're going to take action? And so in the past 15 years, I've, I've had a number of really successful teams where we've driven growth from, you know, let's say we started around sub 5 million in revenue. And over our course of, you know, one to two years, we've gone from 5 million upwards of 40, 50, 60, 70 million in some cases. And really my focus has been not on a channel where I say, you know, I'm this expert on out of home or on Facebook. And I try to bring that playbook everywhere, but really it's been, if I can convert this one person on five different channels, which channel is going to be the most cost-effective place to acquire that person. And so I kind of throw out this idea of being a channel expert and it's really about what's the business, where do those people exist and how do they want to be talked to, and then build a growth mix around that. And I've been working between Toronto and New York through my career, which was an amazing journey and experience for, for me to go through. And today, you know, I, I guess I would maybe take a couple of steps back. In October of last year, I think with COVID and dealing with so many different challenges, mentally, stress, feeling burnt out, working from home, not having any kind of human connection. I realized that for me personally, the more senior I got, the more money I made, the more people I had under me, the less I actually enjoyed my role. And it's not to say that I I believe that like every person should just go from a full-time role into what I'm doing now. But for me, intrinsically, I found that like I was waking up and more of my job as an executive was around people ops, fundraising, board meetings, meeting prep. And I do think that stuff is super critical, but for me, it was not a motivator. And so I decided in October that I'm going to quit my full-time job, which I loved, to do my own thing. And the two things that I wanted to make sure that I was focused on with this business, I have like business model, pricing, all that stuff. I had no idea how to structure it, but I knew at its core that if I could focus on people and I can work with some really interesting growth challenges, there's an opportunity there. And a lot of it came from... I was having a ton of conversations, just naturally networking with the space where people would say, Hey, we need someone like you, but I don't think we can, we can afford you to come in full-time. And so for me, that's like a perfect balance. It's like, if you have internal teams, like a director of marketing, a VP of marketing, and it's like, really, how do we take our business to the next stage of growth? I come in and I just work with the team. I'm behind the scenes. I'm not looking to go back to full-time. It's a path, right? Our focus is how do we partner with marketing teams and startups to help paint a more clear picture to growth. And when I say growth, I really focus on the profitable side of growth. So I'm not going to come in and say, let's deploy all of our series A capital into Facebook. It's 
what is the channel mix? Is it profitable? Is it predictable? And is it repeatable? And that's that's where I am today. And I, I launched the business back in February. So it's only been about three months, but so far it's been life-changing. Amazing. There's a lot that I want to dig into there, but I'm going to start with something that you said that I've heard from a lot of folks, which is that the more senior you got, the less you enjoyed your role. Can you just share a little bit more about that? Because I think a lot of folks, when they're more junior in their career, they have this idea in their mind that the next step, it'll be better. At the next step, it'll feel like this. At the next step, all my ideas will be executed and life will be gravy. But in reality, it's usually tougher at the next step. You just don't know it until you're there. Can you just share a little bit more about how you were feeling and some of the stuff you were seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And I can totally relate to that drive of, you know, I'm a manager. Once I get to director, it's like more money. I can build bigger teams. I have more accountability. There's more like resume worthy things I can do for myself, for my team. And honestly, the more senior I got, A, what happens is as you get more senior, your focus from an internal standpoint actually becomes more broad than your team itself. So as a, say, a manager, your your focus is really on the marketing team. You try to somewhat keep your focus on that team and scaling that team and the efforts of that team. When you become a director, now you're getting access to like, you know, senior leadership team meetings where you're not just talking about what marketing is doing or growth. You're talking about what is the relationship between products, growth, data. Do you have the right engineering resources? And I just found them more and more to your point, like it actually became less about marketing growth and my actual team itself and more about the internal operations of the business. So what I try to explain to people when they talk to me about like becoming a head of growth or managing people, I absolutely love people as fun and frustrating as we are as human beings. I love that. Like that's the things that I live for. What I do explain though, is being a senior leader, whether it's a manager, director, VP, head of, think of it as like an iceberg. The, the top 10% of an iceberg is completely above water. It's beautiful. People take photos of it. It's on the cover of National Geographic. That's like equivalent to probably your title, your pay, your authority in the business, your ability to build a team. The rest of being a leader and manager is that 90% that is underwater and submerged in shit, essentially, which is like, you know, really hard performance conversations, doing rounds of layoffs, spending hours and days preparing for board meetings and trying to figure out, do we have enough cash to get us through the next three months of our business? So the more senior I got, the more I was exposed to the actual like operations of the business. And again, I think it's super important and there's a lot of amazing people that do this job. But for me, a marketing and growth person, it just wasn't doing it for me. So it was almost like every promotion, I think I liked my job a little less. Because you got further and further away from the work, which 100%. is fundamentally why you got into the space. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was having more conversations with other teams I found than my own. And, and so I was like, I almost felt like I was having a big impact across the entire company from like a people and culture and, you know, operations perspective. But I actually felt like I was lessening my impact on the growth side. Like mm. I would say that if I look back at the roles I've had, and the success that I've been able to drive, I wonder what that would have looked like if I was more focused on just the team and less on the entire internal operations of the business. Yeah, it's super interesting. And so it makes sense. So you've left this world where you were spending more time doing things that you were less personally passionate about. And now you get to invest all that extra time into things that you are very passionate about. It's amazing. I love it. I mean, I've been super thankful. I'm extremely humbled by the people that have reached out and said, Hey, we love what you've done. 
we see this as an investment into our marketing and growth team by bringing you in. So I think sometimes it can be, you know, I've been internal where it's like, Hey, we're bringing in this advisor to help you and the communication and the delivery of that can go either way. One way it could be like, so am I not doing my job? Why are you bringing this person in? And the other way is when someone takes a step back and says, this company is making a significant investment in me in the team by bringing this partner in. And so where I've seen this work really well, I have a client, it's properly.ca. What we do there is we help people buy their home before they have to sell their current home. So it's a really great experience if you've ever had to buy, if you're looking to buy your second home, you're starting to stress out, like I have to carry two mortgages. Do I have to, I buy the new home and then I haven't sold the current one. So we got to move it to an Airbnb. And so properly solving an amazing challenge in Canada. And when I first made the announcement of me deciding to transition to this business, and Shaw, the CEO of Properly, and Jess, the VP of Marketing there, reached out and said, hey, we would love to work with you. And honestly, since then, even it was before I made the public announcement, it was in January, I had an awesome call with Jess, and it just it's the perfect fit. Like she is so strong on the like content communication, the brand side, really strong chops on analytics and and growth. And for me, if I look at myself on a scale of creative to analytical, I'm very much on that analytical side. So I looked at this as, holy shit, I get to learn from this like brilliant leader. And hopefully I can bring it up to the table where she says, yes, this is valuable. And so we've been working for the past six months. It's been absolutely amazing. And it's just felt like the right balance. And so I've taken this model of what's worked really well with Properly and applied it to some of the newer clients I've been bringing on. And honestly, again, it's only been three months, but the conversations I have now daily, my focus, the challenges I'm working on, I've hit the nail on the head. Like all I'm doing is one-on-one coaching, diving into data, talking about which channels are going to work for us. How are we thinking about, you know, what's the, like, are we just focused on top of funnel? Are we thinking about what is the growth we can drive from the product side? I'm aware that there's going to be a lot of ups and downs by running my own business. But so far, I am almost like, why didn't I do this sooner? (laughs) Which is amazing, right? So you've gotten to this certain point in your career and in your life where you've acquired all of these skills and now you've taken them and applied them in a different way, which is what growth is all about, right? It's all about iterating and changing your approach and collecting more information. And if one road doesn't work, well, you've got another road. And it's, it's very cool that you've taken that approach to your career as well. Yeah. Honestly, if I think about like what keeps me up at night, I'll always feel this, but I even feel, I feel it more now where it's like, can I be helping the industry more? You know, I see what you're doing for yourself in terms of like building out courses, helping educate people. And I absolutely love it. And I always come back to this idea of like, what are the things that I commonly get asked on LinkedIn or in conversations? And so you know, I appreciate your support on, on my most recent uh, Head of Growth Playbook. And that just originated because people were reaching out, both founders asking me and saying, hey, like we keep hearing this noise from our investors, from the rest of the industry saying, we think we need a Head of Growth, but we have no clue what that even means. And I had to take a step back and, and ask myself, do I know what that means? <laughs> so like, is it a VP of marketing, a Head of Growth? I think a lot of the lines have been blurred. And so... I decided to take a step back. I reached out to a number of folks in the space and say, like, is this helpful? Like if I build out like the first 90 days of someone coming in as a head of growth, would that be valuable? And could I create enough value in a document within a reasonable amount of time where people at any level can digest? So whether you're 
a founder or a CEO of a business, or you're someone that's like, hey, my next role is head of growth. I have no idea what's expected of me. And so that was a ton of fun. I, I do love what you've done with your course. And I think about, are there other things within the growth space that I can do to help an industry outside of people that are engaged with me as a client? And so you know, common questions that come up that I don't know if I have a scientific way of actually answering it, but I would love to figure out if there's resources to create or something like how and when to hire more people. Like as a growth leader, one thing I've struggled with, and I've, I've actually made this mistake a number of times, is I hire ahead of the curve. We look at what our growth targets are. I look at what roles we need to actually hit those targets. And you hire the people based on the targets versus, hey, we're doing something. It's successful. We're at our limit. If we just bring this person in, they can continue to accelerate it. And so, you know, when I say I've made that mistake, like we brought people on where it was on the hope that that channel or that strategy would work. And it doesn't. Thankfully, the people that have come on have been amazing and they've been very like adaptable to other roles, but it's really nerve wracking. Like I find that people honestly will not hire because they're afraid to hire someone that won't be able to come in and have impact or they won't have enough work for them. That's a real challenge. And there is a balance of like, if you don't hire fast enough and you don't hire the right timing, it will impact your growth rate because growth isn't coming from the dollars that you're deploying. It's coming from the people that are coming in with like amazing strategy and tactics and passion to drive your mission forward. Like the growth engine is human built. It is not built by channels or money. What's interesting is I've made the opposite mistake, which is I've waited too long to hire people because mm -hmm. I wanted to validate before I bring the person on and make sure because I've needed, or at least I felt the need that I would need to make the case. Hey, if I bring this person on, here's what will happen. And before I can answer that question, I'm like, well, I need to do some trailblazing on this channel. Mm -hmm. And so I've done the opposite. And so I think that in general, that's a challenge for people that work in growth is that it's not as crystal clear, right? If you work in mm -hmm. sales, and you know how many conversations and how many MQLs lead to SQLs and how many SQLs lead to demos. And you can follow the chain and you can almost just do a math equation and predict out, well, here's the output of this Absolutely. person. But it's a little trickier, it's especially tricky in marketing and also tricky in growth where you've got this cross-functional crew that has different skills. Mm -hmm. And the direct output in terms of quantitative stuff might be a year out. You might need to make this crazy Absolutely. investment. And so I think the market need some help in some directions, some frameworks to use. I mean, even think about this middle team, like the growth PM team. It's like the number of times I've been in different organizations where we've asked ourselves, where do they sit? It's like, does a growth PM, someone that's maybe focused on CRO, so conversion rate optimization, are they under growth or do they report into product and then it's matrix? Do we bring in engineering? That is, are they then reporting into marketing? Is that the right career path for engineers? There's so many things where, again, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but maybe there's, hey, a collective group of senior growth folks have been through you know, a lot of really interesting experiences. And here's, here's what's worked and here's what hasn't worked for us. Because I think around product growth, it can go either way. I've seen product growth like... A friend of mine, Connor, who is the growth PM over at Jobber. Oh, he was my first guest on the podcast. I know Connor well. Yeah, amazing human being, super smart. One of the funniest people I think I've ever heard speak at an event. There was a Growth Toronto event that Jenna Kellner and Emily Lanetto put on pre-COVID. And he would always do like the summary notes of the speakers. And honestly, he was such a great person. Anyways, I think about like him and I talked a few years ago around like how do we build out the function the way that it's structured at Jobber, because you have this massive engineering team 
But then it's like, how do we also figure out how do we drive growth, but pull resources from the engineering team? And is it the same type of engineer that's doing more of the foundational product work that's going to then be excited by growth challenges? And I think even that in itself, like, is a growth engineer different than an, an engineer that's supporting the product team? And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but there's got to be more resources to help answer this question. Because if I think back to like when I was a uh, first manager or first director, yeah, like if I didn't hire fast enough, then I end up taking on all of that work myself. And then I become even less effective. And that's probably another part of why I stopped liking my job as much was because, you know, in a startup, we don't have time on our side. We have like a limited amount of cash in a bank. We have all of our resources. We're burning, you know, say 20 grand a month or 20 grand a day in some cases, depending on your scale. And so you're trying to find this balance of like, well, I'll just do it myself. But it's like, is that the right approach? And are you going to have the same amount of impact that if you just hired an expert that could come in and have like impact very, very quickly? And so I always think back to like the channels that I've tested, the experiments that I've run, and did they win or fail correctly? Like, did I actually apply enough thinking, time, resources? I think about open care, my most recent full-time role. And when we were really scaling pre-COVID, like over a three month period, we tested 17 new channels. Wow. Like that's a crazy amount of new channels. Yeah. And I asked myself, like, was I being completely fair to each of those channels? Did I, was I just taking like Facebook content, applying it to Pinterest? And what is it? Was I doing all these things? And there's so many things in growth where what I've come to realize in my career is fewer is better. So you can do a bunch of things okay, but where I've seen the most sizable scale across my career has come from, can we do like a channel mix of like four or five channels and four or five channels can honestly grow you from your seed stage, you know, sub 5 million upwards of 40, 50, 60 million. It's, I don't think it's until you get to some of those larger scales where you need to think about new channels, like if you really aren't seeing depth in a channel, then I think fundamentally, maybe the channel's not the right main stage channel for you. So if you're saying, well, you know, when we spend 20 grand, it's cost effective. When we get to 50 grand, it's like not working. My question is like, are you really understanding the channel? Do you really understand the user? Is there a better channel where you wouldn't see a diminishing return on cost until, you know, 300,000 or 400,000? And so, yeah, I think the other piece that it's been super helpful to come into these teams is like, I don't have the distraction of my exec onboarding or meeting all these other teams. Like I really do come in and try to understand what's going on in the growth side. And a lot of the times it's, we're just trying to do too many things at once. And when we take a step back and say, let's declutter and really say, what are the channels and things we want to make bets on? Honestly, the few clients that I have right now, that's been our approach. We've said, okay, let's just focus. And the amount of growth we're seeing across the different companies that I'm, I'm working with has been exactly the same as the other scale-ups in my career. And I, I'm just like, I feel even more effective now than I did before. It's amazing. And it's pretty similar to what you were just saying with taking a growth approach and applying it to your career. If you almost think about removing friction at some of these channels, right? Having too many channels is a distraction and a distraction is friction for a team and for a company's growth. Removing some of those things sometimes just accelerates the engine. And so it's cool when you start thinking a little bit meta about all these things coming together. The approach is really applicable in a lot of different ways, which is just cool. Yeah, it's funny. I, even in my personal life, I decided to delete my Facebook and Instagram account yeah. because I, I was like, if this is working for businesses, why not try to like 
you know, growth hack my life a little bit. And so what I decided back in October, as I was giving notice at open care was I want to get back engaged on LinkedIn. And I just want to be sharing content that I'm not seeing being shared that I wish people would talk about, Hmm. you know, some of the things that have been really meaningful are like, what do you do as a head of growth? What's expected? What are salary ranges of people on the marketing and growth team? It's not really often talked about outside of things like pay scale, but I find what these tools say and what the market is actually saying is very different. Yeah. And so I've just been really investing my time in LinkedIn and it's been absolutely fantastic. Like the people I've connected with, like you and I met through LinkedIn and now we're having this conversation. It's, you know, if I think about the time I was spending on Instagram, like I, I definitely don't want to be any of those people. <laughs> like, like the path from interaction on that channel to human connection is very big versus LinkedIn. And so I've just noticed over the past four or five months of really focusing my time and effort, it's a freed up my time on the personal side. Like I was just, I was trying to do too many things. I was being available for too many people. And I find that it just doesn't really work. And I think it was because I made some of those changes that it helped me understand that I don't want to be full-time anymore. I want to like launch this business and do this thing. And I think the one thing that I would say is still new to me is how do I make sure that I'm integrating myself into the team where I still feel part of a team? Because my biggest concern moving into a fractional space is that I'm just this outside person. And you know, you feel outside from a, a bonding standpoint, you feel it from an impact standpoint, you feel it from a recommendation standpoint. And so, so far, the way that the teams I've worked with have gone is it's perfect. I'm having weekly one-on-ones. I'm part of like some of their team building. It's been fantastic. But I think for anyone that's thinking, Hey, I've been doing this full-time thing. What Sean is saying is resonating. Think about how you're going to structure yourself. Like if it's really important for you to feel part of a team, I don't think that's not possible as an advisor, because I, I feel like I'm proof right now where I feel connected. I have the right structure in terms of like my days and I have way more ability to design my life right now than I ever have. Amazing. I want to back out a little bit. You said something in your first sentence that I wrote down because I wanted to come back to it. I'm going to loop us back there. So you had talked about initially straight off the jump about the differences and the nuances between marketing and growth. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, like how do you view those nuances and then going a little bit deeper on growth, just so you can start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I'm also curious to know what you think the most important skills are for somebody who's successful in the growth space. Yeah, it's such a loaded question. And I'm going to say that this is my personal perspective. In no way am I saying that like, hey, everyone go quote me on this. But from my own experience, if I look back to like my career, I was someone that took school. I went to school for marketing and e-commerce. Did two years. It was fine. And then I got into my first job and I was a marketing coordinator. At least that's what the title said. Uh, In reality, I was like a sales BDR. I was booking demos. I was doing like website maintenance. I was designing brochures. I was like an executive assistant. And so you could fundamentally say that was actually more of a growth role because it expanded across the entire organization. And it was more about removing friction to unlock revenue, which I do believe is what growth is really rooted in. I think marketing and growth are the lines. They're getting very blurred now, which I think is fantastic. I would say that before, marketing felt more like how do we deploy cash to the right audience and generate the right response. I would say where I feel like my career put me on a path of growth was because I was obsessed over things like, do I need to spend money to drive more revenue? Or could I just improve the conversion rate of people that were already coming at the current spend? And I started thinking about you know, conversion rate optimization and 
through my career, I've honestly done, I've done like 300 different growth activities. Like I've worked with customer service on how do we improve our NPS rate to then drive more referrals. I've looked at the finance team to say, Hey, if we can actually be paying people faster, we will be getting a cheaper cost on on certain tools. That's going to reduce CAC across some of our acquisition channels. That's having an impact on growth. Like I just think about growth as this thing where you look at your PL, your profit and loss statement, and you look at all the things in the business that are driving either a cost or driving opportunity in terms of revenue. And I think about like, where's friction? And if I can look at the business and say, if I can remove friction on customer service or on, you know, sales or on marketing or on, you know, engineering, it's going to unlock revenue. And so the way that I've been thinking about it a lot is what is like the money tree of the organization? Every metric in an organization ladder up to the top line number that you're trying to grow. And I think what's always challenging with a lot of companies is people don't feel that connected to that top line number. So, you know, you can talk to an engineering team and they're just like, yeah, like I'm working on this stuff and we're releasing new code and we're building these amazing things, but I don't know what my impact is on revenue. And I think that's a huge missed opportunity. What I've realized in my career is that data literacy is probably one of the biggest challenges of growth for most most organizations. When people actually start to understand their direct connection to the growth of the business, that is when I've seen amazing growth. And I don't believe growth is only owned by the marketing team or by the product team. It is owned by every single person that is employed by that company. Most of the time in a startup, you have equity, you're all owners. And I think taking time to understand how am I connected to the top line growth of this business? And if I do more of this, it will generate more of that. And I think That's why when I say that I've done so many different channels and I I would lean more on the growth side now, because I think to be good at growth, it's like you have to know ego because you realize that if something isn't working, you need to just drop it and move to something else. And I think that can be challenging for a lot of folks, especially when you feel that sense of like emotional investment and what you've just been spending like weeks and months building. And when it's like, Hey, this isn't going to work, let's change directions. It can be very painful. And I've had to coach people through that and I completely understand it. But at the end of the day, it's really about how are we creating the most value for our customers that will eventually drive revenue to the business, right? If you think about it from a input is customer value, output is impact on revenue. And so for me, growth is how do I look at the entire business and unlock and remove friction to drive revenue? And I think marketing is really how do I generate the best impact on top of funnel when I'm thinking about like, what are the top of funnel aspects of marketing on the engagement side is how do I support the journey? Whether it's, you know, someone running email and SMS supporting the sales team or making sure that the customers after talking to a CS rep are receiving the right follow-ups and and getting an NPS score. And so I think because marketing has moved from just more of that top of funnel through the business, that's why I think marketing and growth are kind of blurring the lines a little bit. And I think when I think about Someone that says, Hey, like I'm a growth person. I'm like, why do you think you're a growth person? And when they come back to with like, well, I have no ego. I'm more analytical. I will write and do kind of like those, like a growth model before we do things like that's kind of perfect for me. Like someone that's willing to actually look at if we spend this money based on this predicted conversion rate, this is the outcome and you either do it or you don't do it. I think that in my mind has been a huge win of like marketing and growth blending together because it's like not just what can we do with our existing funnel, but it's also if we do stuff top of funnel or outside of like our product, what impact could that have? I also would love to see a world where like marketing, growth, product work better together. I think we're moving in the right direction. 
but I still think that there's this, at least for me, what I've seen is there's this idea that marketing and growth only want to work on short-term things and product want to work on foundational long-term things. And I actually think there should be a balance of both. And I think that's where there's friction is, you know, if you have somebody that wants to be working on long-term investments and technical improvements of the product, if I come to them and say, Hey, we, we want to launch this like landing page. We want to like, you know, add this new trigger into the flow. We want to be piping stuff into iterable. It's like, that's fine, but it's not exciting to me. And I think there's a world where it's less about, are you doing long-term or short-term bets? And it's more about how, what's the cadence of each of those things. So you're doing both at the same time. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And during my, even during my time at Wistia, we had our growth team there and we started, I think it's easy to start with some of the iterative things yeah. right in front of you. You can kind of get some quick wins. It's nice to figure out some momentum within the team, but at a certain point, you kind of exhaust all of the 2% here, 5% here yes. stuff, and you, you have to start thinking bigger. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of my big learnings as I moved on from Wistia into my second growth role was how do I just think bigger off the jump? Like what are the 10 X things that you can start to think about? What are the programs? What are the loops? What are et cetera, et cetera, products that we can make that are really accelerate things. And so as I think about some of the most successful growth folks, I think they just think differently. I mean, I heard you say some of the soft skills, right? No ego, somebody who's focused on creating value. You talked about analytical as well. You also talked about some like more tactical stuff, data literacy, someone who understands top line revenue, some friction removing, some of that stuff. What are the other skills from your perspective that you think the best growth folks have? So again, like I'm someone that is, I think if you look at like personalities and the soft skills, I think all of the other stuff can be taught. Like, I think the challenge right now in the growth space, honestly, is that there's so many open growth roles and there aren't enough people that exactly match what people are looking for as it stands today. Like the number of times you'll receive any, like a, a LinkedIn message or an email being like, Hey, we have this amazing growth role. It's like, it's almost like there is a disproportionate amount of roles to the people that are available. And I lean on the side of, if I can find the people with the right attitude, we should actually be building and growing our audience of growth folks. Like, I think what we haven't done is we haven't take a second to say, is there a fundamental issue in our industry, which I believe there is. And it's about not reinvesting in new people coming into the space. There's a lot of folks that are in marketing or in product or in communication or even in customer service that want to become a growth person. And I honestly think it's the biggest challenge is on the soft skills. It's like being open to change, like having no ego. If we say, Hey, our next growth channel is going to be street teams. We want every person on the growth team to go out on the street, get people to book appointments for whatever our service is. If that's something that you're not willing to do, you're probably not the right person. Like whether you have the technical ability to, you know, create a landing page or to look at analytics and like really digest the information. Can you do a forecast? Like, I think there's definitely those harder skills, but in my mind, we can teach people those things. And that's where I think the biggest challenge is today is that there's just so many open roles. There's not enough people. We're not investing in growing and building growth people because I think we worry too much about the hard skills. And so for me, I think they're important but I think the harder part is actually finding people that fit the right mold in terms of like mental framework. I totally agree. And so for someone who's listening to this, they're in their second role, they're interested in getting into growth. What advice would you have for someone like that who hears some of those soft skills and thinks that's me, I could do that. What would you tell someone like that? Yeah. I mean, I think about like, I look back at at myself and it's like, be more open to whatever comes to you. And it's like, what I say by that is like, if you get a project and you think like, oh, well, this isn't really growth, I would take a step back and ask yourself, like, 
Are you sure you're evaluating it the right way? And what I found is the more experience I've had doing a bunch of different things, the stronger I've become as a growth person. So I don't think if I would have just solely focused on marketing or just on this one channel or on this one avenue that I would be where I am today. I think the fact that like I've booked demos for people, I've built websites from scratch, I understand how to like set up databases in terms of our like, how do we structure our data infrastructure in the business? My advice is actually understand the entire PL of your business. Understand everything, what tools you're using, how fast you're paying people, what the conversion rates are from very top of funnel all the way to your retention. Understand from customer service why you're losing people, what people don't agree with in your product. Is your pricing the right pricing? Talk to your CFO, understand what they see as challenges in the business. Like I believe that the best growth people are ones that understand the entire business itself, not just one component. So if you're in your first role, your second role, your third role, reach out to people on different teams. You can do that with any role in any organization. Most people are very open to just chatting and ask them about their role. Ask them, how do you think it's going? Where are the opportunities that you see? What friction exists in the business today? And then start to think about like, how can you influence that change? And I do think... You know, it's a bit dry sometimes going through like a PL, but I do think that that's unlocked so much opportunity for me in my career. And again, I will bring it back to the soft side where if I can understand the frustrations that say, you know, your, your finance manager has, I think being able to talk to different people on different teams has also allowed me to really understand growth. People will open up to you, you start to build real relationships, and it becomes more of like a, a proper exchange of like give and take. And yeah, I mean, to simplify your your question, like understand the business, like understand the business from top to bottom. And I believe you will become a much stronger growth person. It's crazy that more people don't do that. If you work Mm -hmm. at a company, you have access to everything and people will always say yes. And they're always flattered. Well, one to share what they're up to and what their role is, but they're always excited when more junior or even when more senior folks ask, how does the business work? Can you take me through it? Fantastic advice. Uh, I want to be mindful of your time. If sure. someone is interested in getting more of your advice, where should they follow you online? I would say LinkedIn, like linkedin.com slash Sean Hurley. Or if you want to know a bit more of like how I'm working as a business or some of the stuff like the playbook, I've even put on a bunch of free free resources, like a marketing, a marketing strategy template, like something that I wish someone would have helped me with at some point in my career. It's all on pathrighthq.com. So either check out the website, go on LinkedIn. I do not have an Instagram. I do not have a Twitter. Um, I am like, you know, probably aging myself here, but I just, again, if I'm saying to everyone, you know, to drive meaningful growth, you need to focus. I need to apply the same thing to my life. That's awesome. Uh, We'll make sure to drop both link in the comment section or in the description of the podcast to your LinkedIn and to your site and also to the playbook. If you work in growth and you're ahead of growth or you're about to be ahead of growth or someday you would hopefully will grow into a head of growth role, you're giving away advice for basically free. They should be Mm -hmm. taking you up on it. I know it's not free, but it's so damn cheap compared to how much education costs outside of this space from somebody who's been there tactically. It would be crazy not to explore that. Yeah, I've, I've actually got, I think most of it's strange, not strange. It's been really interesting that a lot of people that have purchased it have been actually product folks, not as much on the growth side, because I think there's a lot of people that are in product that are trying to understand like, what's the difference here and how do I drive more growth? And I don't think you need to have a title of head of growth. And so what you'll get from the book is definitely 
like how I approach things. Like there's suggestions in the book to like meet with finance, to meet with product, to meet with engineering. Like the crux of the entire book is actually to understand the entire business. And so, yeah, it's head of growth. But I think if you're in a product role, you're in marketing, you're in customer service, you're in sales, there is a ton of value there. And I think it gives you some sort of like checklist or framework on how you can go about actually understanding your own business. Love it, man. Super helpful. We'll make sure to link to that stuff. Check it out, folks. Thank you for coming on, man. Appreciate the time. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. This was fantastic. All right. We'll chat soon. See ya.